Welcome to Kings River Life's Mystery Rats Maze podcast, where we share with you mystery short stories and first chapters of mystery novels read by local actors. This episode features an excerpt from Here Comes the Body by Maria DeRico, a.k.a. Ellen Byron, and it's read by local actor Ariel Lynn. Here Comes the Body was published in February of 2020 by Kensington. If you'd like to help support this podcast, listen for details in the closing of this episode on how to become a patron and get some fun perks. After her philandering husband's boat went down, newly single Mia Karina went back to Astoria, a bustling queen's neighborhood of her youth. Living with her nana and her oversized cat doorstop, she's got a whole new life, including some amateur sleuthing. At 6.45 a.m., Mia Karina woke up to Frank Sinatra singing New York, New York from the alarm on her phone. A happy reminder that she was in Queens, not Miami, and no longer a person of interest in her adulterous husband's disappearance. Mia had only been back in Astoria for a few days. She could have left the Sunshine State months earlier, but she'd chosen to hold her head high, despite the cloud over it and retained her position as general manager for the Palm Beach branch of Corey Designs, a go-to destination for the uber-wealthy seeking ridiculously expensive leather goods. Luckily, a little notoriety had proved a good thing sales-wise. Between her status as a person of interest in a salacious murder investigation and the whispered rumor that her father was a well-known mafioso, which happened to be true, Mia sold enough overpriced accessories to pay for a first-class ticket out of town when she gave notice. She yawned, stretched, and snuggled up to doorstop, a sleek ginger obsidian cat sharing a pillow. Then she threw off the covers. Doorstop responded with an annoyed meow. Sorry, bud, the 31-year-old, most likely a widow, said, grinning at the smoky blob of orange fur burying its head under the covers. Mama's gotta get to work. Mia rolled off the blow-up mattress currently serving as her bed and scrambled to her feet. She noticed the birdcage on top of the still-to-be-emptied box and got a pang of sadness. Formerly the home of her pet parakeet, Pizzazz, the cage stood empty of its resident. As she was leaving a Miami apartment, she had been jostled by a crowd of local reporters eager to make their bones by getting a departing comment from her. The cage door flew open and Pizzazz... Confused and scared, flew off. Mia delayed her flight home and plastered the neighborhood with flyers promising a hefty reward for the bird's return. But so far, no one had reported a sighting. She padded through the empty second floor of her grandmother's two-family house into the bathroom for a shower, then pulled clothing out of a suitcase, a black pencil skirt, and fitted jacket she paired with a silk turquoise top that brought out the blue in her eyes. Mia had learned from her boss at Corey that her crystalline orbs, wavy dark brunette hair, and pale skin made her a winter. Cool, bright colors flattered Mia. She'd also learned never to dress better than the customers, something she kept in mind while putting together an outfit for her first day of work at Bellevue Banquet Manor, a party venue surrendered to her father, Ravello Corina, by a gambler who couldn't pay his debts. Mia filled doorstops, food, and water bowls, 
grabbed her purse, and then headed downstairs, a pair of black high heels in one hand. Lisbeth Carina, Mia's beloved grandmother, stood waiting in the home small vestibule. Mia kissed Lisbeth on both cheeks as Hero, her grandmother's chubby terrier mix, barked protectively. At least he likes doorstop. He'll get used to me. Mia bent down to pet the mutt, who gave her a haughty glance, then succumbed to the affection. I made you breakfast, fried eggs and sausage, Lisbetta said. The 83-year-old was not one to let a clogged artery or two get in the way of her family's fatty foods, much to a cardiologist's chagrin. Grazie, but I don't have time. I want to get to Bellevue early, suss out the place. Va bene. I'll put it in a container. You can have it tomorrow. While the thought of day-old reheated fried eggs might be an anathema to the average human, Mia took it in stride. For the Carinas, wasting food was sacrilege. Lisbetta zipped up the jacket of a velour tracksuit, her daily uniform. Today's outfit was burgundy with navy trim. I'm going on a power walk with the army. Mia couldn't help smiling. The army was a posse of Italian and Greek grandmothers who lived on the block for 50, 60, even 70 years, and power walk was a euphemism for gossipy stroll. I'll see if anyone's giving away furniture. Lisbetta continued as she did a few half-hearted stretches to obstinately warm up. Maybe someone's decided to turn their second bedroom into a sewing room. Sewing room was another neighborhood euphemism. It generally meant an ancient, dusty sewing machine squashed between boxes of half-broken Christmas ornaments and polyester clothes from the 70s that were too nice to give away. That would be great, Lisbetta hugged her granddaughter. I'm so glad you're back, Tiamo. I love you, bella bambina. I love you too, nanna. Si vediamo stasera. See you tonight. Lisbetta left to meet up with a senior crew. Mia opened the Pick You Up Right Share app on her phone and tapped in a request. Then put on her heels and stepped outside. Easter had just passed, but the tidy front yards of the brick two-family homes were still awash in pastel decorations and strings of lights shaped like rabbits, eggs, lambs, and chicks. No holiday went uncelebrated or undecorated on 46th place. Competition to outspend and one-up each other turned the sweet little old ladies of the neighborhood into bloodthirsty competitors. Mia's own grandmother was the worst offender. When Mia was little, Lisbeth even roped her into undercover spy work. Well, it's better delivered batches of her famous Frizzell cookies to unsuspecting neighbors. Her granddaughter would plead the need to use the bathroom, but instead sneak a peek at any decorations laid out in a spare room, later reporting as many details as she could remember to her eager nana, who then made sure to top them. A moving van at the far end of the block caught me as I. Gentrification was starting to rear its upscale head in the neighborhood. She was furious when Lisbetta told her how real estate agents were intimidating elderly locals by implying that they were losing their wits. 
than offering flyer for assisted living facilities along with their business cards. The block was an oasis of tradition and neighborliness. Holiday decoration battles accepted, and Mia would fight to keep it that way. A silver, older model Prius pulled up in front of the Karina home. Mia shook her head, but marched down the stairs and got into the back seat of the car. First the airport, now here? You can't be the only pick-you-up car in the area. The driver, Jamie Boldano, shrugged and smiled. Let's just call it luck. Jamie, whose father Donnie was Ravello's boss, had the misfortune of being the sole intellectual in a family of mobster goombas. Determined to forge his own path, he'd embarked on a teaching career, but was now earning a master's degree in family therapy and ride-sharing to pay the bills. Me and Jamie had grown up together, and even briefly dated in high school. Mia wasn't the only Karina who wished she'd married Jamie instead of adulterer Adam Grusso. But Jamie, struggling to find himself, hadn't asked. And now, Mia, burned by her marital disaster, had more interest in cold fried eggs than another relationship. Jamie followed local streets until he merged into Grand Central Parkway. As they drove past the Guardia Airport, Mia flashed on when she and husband Adam made their move to Miami. Theirs was a whirlwind relationship that began during Mia's celebration of a 27th birthday with some girlfriends at Mingles, an aptly named Astoria hangout. Her friends were impressed when a 750 liter of Dom Perignon champagne was delivered to their table, courtesy of the gentleman at the bar. Mia was more impressed by the gentleman at the bar, who had the tawny blonde looks of a northern Italian and introduced himself as your future husband, Adam Grusso. At the end of the evening, Adam had helped a drunk Mia into a taxi, then jumped in with her. A hookup turned into a torrid romance, which turned into an impulsive wedding a month later, during a weekend getaway in Vegas. Adam revealed to Mia that when they met, he was only supposed to be in town for a week before moving to Miami to begin work as a manager at Tuta Pasta, a popular South Beach restaurant. He'd extended his stay for a few weeks just to be with her. She rewarded him with a hand in marriage and relocation to Florida, much to a heartbroken family chagrin. Basta, Mia said to herself. Enough focusing on four years of my life. I'll never get back. Like the saying goes, that was then. This is now. And now I'm in a car with Jamie. Smart, kind, and cute. Ah, no! Stop! Basta! She pulled out a tablet and tried to focus. So, Jamie said, looking forward to today? Yes, in a big way, Mia hesitated. But I'm nervous. I've never done anything like this. Neither has my dad. It has to work out. I don't want him going back to his old job. No offense to your dad or anything. No worries. I get it. If it makes you feel better, I hear Ravello's doing a great job running the place. Nothing seems to throw him. Which is important when you're dealing with the biggest events in people's lives. Weddings, anniversaries, birthdays. They're all emotionally high-octane events that can cause as much stress as pleasure. 
<laughs> I think that's your psych degree talking. Jamie blushed. The fact that Mia found this trait of his attractive made her blush as well. We're here, Jamie said as he drove through a parking lot and pulled up in front of a nondescript building from the mid-1960s. Mia released a breath, and the unexpected sexual tension she felt dissipated. She looked out the window at her new work home, Bellevue Banquet Manor, was perched on a small outcropping of land squeezed between Flushing Bay and the parking lot that served its marina. Bellevue's glass-paned architecture was designed to take advantage of the views. Some scenic, some not so much. The catering venue was also adjacent to the landing pattern for LaGuardia. Nice location, Jamie said. You know, <laughs> it has the same name as the mental ward in Manhattan. Yeah, we're not going to lead with that one on the website. Mia shoved her tablet back in her purse. Thanks, Jamie. See you later. You might, or you might not. Odds favor the former. Jamie shot her a slightly devilish grin and drove off. The son of Donnie Bellano might claim independence from his mobbed-up family, but that didn't mean he wouldn't occasionally take a page from the dicey book. Me inhaled and exhaled a few times to quell her nerves. I can do this, she told herself. Still feeling insecure, she said it out loud yelling at the parked car surrounding her. I can do this! Go for it! Someone yelled back. Mia hadn't noticed a delivery man sitting in the driver's seat of a UPS van, checking his phone. Embarrassed, she returned the thumbs up he flashed her. Then, she adjusted her skirt, pulled open one of Bellevue's heavy glass doors, and entered the grand foyer. A massive crystal chandelier dangled over the space, which, with its white walls and tiled floor, was otherwise unremarkable, even bordering on dingy. The baseboards were scuffed, a freighted tippage of a wedding from decades ago decorated one wall. A gilded plaster statue of Cupid did a valiant job of hiding a water stain. Mia felt defeated. She pictured a more grandiose venue, like the legendary Leonard's of Greenneck, with its ornate ballrooms and twenty-foot chandelier presiding over its two-story grand foyer. Then she looked past Bellevue's far less impressive foyer into a large banquet room. A wall of windows framed the view of Flushing Bay, where boats bobbed serenely in the World's Fair marina's docks. Her spirits rose again. Despite the hints of shabbiness, Bellevue enjoyed a lovely location, much nicer than the flashier party palaces in the area. I can work with this, she thought. Mia was about to go look for her father when she was startled by a large rumble. Two decorative urns filled with ferns began to vibrate. Her heart raced. What the... This reading of Here Comes the Body was produced by Kings River Life and directed by Lori Lewis Ham. You can learn more about Ellen on her website, ellenbyron.com. 
If you'd like to help us be able to continue to bring you more mystery fun, check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash kingsriverlife. Even a dollar a month can make a difference, and we could really use your support. A thank you and shout out to our newest patron, Penny Tuttle. We also have some cool merchandise available on Redbubble. Check the show notes for the link and for the links to our websites and social media. Subscribe to our podcast to make sure that you don't miss a single episode. Subscribe to our podcast newsletter for bonus content. If you enjoy this episode, please rate or review it as this helps make us easier for others to find. And be sure to tell your friends. Until next time, this is your announcer wishing you a life full of mystery.